Seven years ago today, this song reached number one on the UK singles chart. So that's this day, February the 21st, 1987. But you got to follow the bouncing ball here a little bit with this song by Ben E. King. It's an update of an early 20th century gospel hymn, which was based on Psalm 46. Will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? Ben E. King never actually intended to record this song himself. He'd written it for the drifters, but they said, nah, we're good. We're going to pass on this particular ditty. And so when Ben E. King had finished recording his debut album, Spanish Harlem, he had some studio time left over. And the producers asked, well, you're going to fill this time if you want. Anything else you've got? Any more songs in that bag of tricks over there? So Ben E. King played Stand By Me on the piano. The session's producers liked it. And they said, hey, we should record this. And so Ben E. King did. Here's the thing. Spanish Harlem, the debut album from Ben E. King, came out In 1960, this song, originally, Stand By Me, recorded in 1961. So why, oh why, did it only become a number one hit in 1987? Well, that's, of course, because it was featured in the movie Stand By Me with a young Canadian actor, very chubby at the time, (laughs) Jerry O'Connell. I can say that because Jerry O'Connell well after his My Secret Identity days, got jacked. Let me tell you about the Canadian actor, Jerry O'Connell. Nonetheless, 1987, the film Stand By Me made Ben E. King's 1961 song a number one hit. And another little piece of trivia associated with that movie that featured so many actors as youngsters who grew up to do other things, narrated by Richard Dreyfus, who was the writer at the center of that movie writing the book about his friend who had been killed trying to intervene in an argument but it was based stand by me the movie on a short story from stephen king called the body and like all stephen king works they only seem to translate well to the big screen when they're based on short stories (laughs) you take some of king's best stuff the green mile turned out pretty well But Shawshank Redemption became a terrific movie, not named after the Stephen King work for which uh, that was originally written. It was called The Body when it was written as a short story. It turns into Stand By Me. 
it goes on and on from there. Pet Cemetery, It, all a bunch of meh movies. Misery is okay. Kathy Bass and James Caan, but it was the stuff, as far as I'm concerned, that you knew less about in terms of Stephen King's works that became better feature films. And The Body, a.k.a. Stand By Me, turned into one of them. All right, how about your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning? Number one, Ontario's Green Party Caucus has doubled in size as its second member officially took her seat yesterday as the provincial legislature resumed. Speaker, I have the honour to present to you and to the House Ashlyn Clancy, member for the Electoral District of Kitchener Centre, who has taken the oath and signed the roll and now claims the right to take her seat. Number two on your Farwell Show 5 for today, as MPPs got back to work at Queen's Park yesterday, the governing Conservatives introduced Bill 162, or the Get It Done Act, which includes a return of urban boundary expansions in several communities, including here in the region of Waterloo. Still trying to parse out exactly where those expansions may be, but we'll keep our eyes on that for sure. Number three, a police shooting in Kitchener brings back memories of the death of Bo Baker, who was also killed during an interaction with police on Brybeck Crescent nine years ago. Ontario's Special Investigations Unit is now looking into the Monday night shooting that left a 31-year-old man dead. Bo Baker's mom, Jackie, is still haunted by her son's death. It's been nine years since the death of my son and several more years since the death of others, and I think it's time now for some changes. With the police, not just with mental health, with the police. They need to make some changes immediately. Absolutely zero faith in the SIU. I just know that I was really naive in the early stages of this process because it's not something most people will ever, ever have to experience. An inquest determined that Bo Baker's death was a suicide. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, the federal government hopes to release details by April of new legislation to mitigate online harms, especially for young people. A part of the plan could be a new regulator to ensure online platforms are complying with federal law. And number five, analysts think yesterday's inflation announcement at 2.9% could signal an interest rate cut as early as April, though a greater chance of a cut comes at the next interest rate announcement by the Bank of Canada in June. It is 9-12. Let's quickly, because we have to move quickly to get to the federal conservative leader, Pierre Polyev. But a quick phone call from Brian this morning. Hey, Brian. Hi, Mike. How you doing? Great, thanks. You? That's, I'm good, thanks. Good. good day today. Sun's shining. You betcha. Okay, just a couple of glaring uh, um, omissions from your list of great Stephen King books that were made into even better movies, I think. Okay. Got four of them real quick. The Dead Zone. Come on. Nope. Uh, Carrie? Yeah, it was not bad. Oh, Mike, come on. The Shining? I didn't. It didn't do it for me. Oh, my God, Mike. What about Kudo? Definitely not. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I've got the, I got movie critic, Mike. Today. I'm going to be the elitist. Hey, Brian, the book was better than the movie, okay? I, I just think <laughs> that they were great Stephen King uh, novels that were made into pretty great movies. Fair enough all around, my friend. Good to hear from you, bud. 
You too, man. <laughs> Enjoy your day. That might be a segment coming up. The Stephen King movies that didn't translate as well, or books that didn't translate as well to movies. All right, as I said, we must step lively because the leader of the Federal Conservative Party awaits. Pierre Polyev joins us next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. It is not every day that the leader of the Federal Conservative Party pays a visit to our community, but today is that day. And the right honorable leader of the opposition, Pierre Polyev, joins our program this morning. Mr. Polyev, good morning. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for making time for the show. What brings you to Kitchener today? Well, we're visiting a number of different businesses uh, that, uh, that manufacturing facilities, uh, retail outlets, uh, and others to, uh, to share our plan to axe the tax, build the homes, fix the budget, stop the crime. Um, and as you know, after eight years of Trudeau, housing costs have doubled, work no longer pays, food prices have dr- driven two million people to the food bank. So we're here with common sense solutions uh, so that uh, the people of uh, Kitchener-Waterloo region can bring home the country they love. Axe the tax is pretty simple, I think, for people to understand. You have made it clear that you would get rid of the carbon tax in this country. What then is your plan to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and tackle a rapidly changing climate? We need to give people affordable alternatives. So instead of driving up the, tr- the cost of traditional energies we still need, like uh, oil and gas, uh, we need to drive down the cost of zero zero emitting energy. That means green lighting, responsible nuclear, hydroelectric, geothermal, and tidal wave power so that we can feed our grid with energy from emissions-free sources. Uh, it means mining the minerals that go into electric car batteries so that we no longer import them from high-emitting, coal-burning economies like China. And uh, it means um, giving people the chance to pay less for those alternatives uh, rather than paying more for the kinds of traditional energy that is still necessary. We should bring home production of our mining, our, our resources to this country where we can do it more environmentally responsibly than any other place on earth. I'll be repealing Trudeau's anti-resource law uh, that has been found unconstitutional, that we can produce the greenest, cleanest resources anywhere on earth and at a low price for our consumers. Stopping the crime is timely in this community, Mr. Polyev, because we just had a business owner on our show yesterday who was concerned with, and he spoke for dozens of businesses in his area of the community, concerned with repeated petty thefts and catch and release policies. Would you do anything when it comes to bail reform in this country? Yes. Um, Trudeau's uh, catch and release bail law allows the same repeat violent offenders to be released within hours of their arrest. In Vancouver, for example, they had to arrest and or charge the same 40 offenders 6,000 times in one year. That's 150 per offender per year. Uh, That's because they keep getting released. Police will tell you that they're not even done the paperwork 
on an arrest before the offender is out on bail. And often an hour later, again, the good news is we don't have a lot of criminals. The bad news is Trudeau keeps turning them loose. So I'll bring in jail and not bail, which is to say a repeat violent offenders will be ineligible for bail or early parole. And that will keep them behind bars and massively reduce crime. We did this in the previous Harper government and cut crime by 25%. That is common sense. And now we need to bring home safe streets. Do you support a safe supply program for those who are struggling with addiction? Well, I you know the terminology is deceptive because after eight years of Trudeau paying to give out opioids under the slogan of safe supply, the number of overdose deaths has exploded. We've had 40,000 people die in eight years. Uh, Overdose deaths are up 200% under this policy. In Belleville, we lost 12 people to overdoses in two hours a couple of weeks back. This is not working. And the reason is that the addicts are taking the tax-funded opioids and they're using them until they're no longer strong enough. And then when they want something better, they sell, sell those opioids to kids and use the profits to buy more powerful fentanyl. And the kids use the opioids until they graduate up to dangerous fentanyl and the cycle continues. This whole crisis started because of pharmaceutical-grade opioids pushed by corrupt pharmaceutical companies. Why are we profiting those same companies and distributing those same drugs when the solution is to cut that off and instead put the money into treatment and recovery that detox, counseling, group therapy, yoga, sweat lodges for First Nations, exercise programs, transitional housing back into the uh, job market. And that is the common sense way to bring our loved ones home drug free. The federal government has recently introduced a a cap on the number of international student visas being issued. This is an issue that is uh, a bit of a lightning rod in our community right now, where our college, Conestoga, uh, last year approved or accepted more than 30,000 international students. What would you say is the right balance of international student visas for our colleges and universities in Canada? The right balance is that a student must have a real university or college admission letter. They must have proof that they have housing, and they must have proof of income before they are granted a visa to come to Canada. Uh, This is how it worked before Trudeau. We had no problems. Our student program was a brilliant success. It was admired around the world. Trudeau came in and allowed fraudsters and crooked consultants fake colleges to bring in hundreds of thousands of students, so-called students. In many cases, they weren't really studying. They were just getting in to, uh, as a shortcut for other immigration uh, paths. Uh, and that overwhelmed our housing market and um, has caused major problems. So my common sense plan would be to reverse the chaos Trudeau caused in this international student program i'll link the number of uh, the population growth to the growth in our housing stock so that we can get rid of the shortfall and house our own people 
uh, and I'll make sure that anyone who comes here has a home, an income, and a real university to study at. Mr. Polyev, the Secretary General of NATO is asking that Canada set a date to meet its 2% pledge of GDP to defense. Would you commit to a date, and how would you get our spending up to that 2% if it's important? I'm open to coming up with a date. Uh, here's my common sense plan to, to rebuild our forces, which Trudeau has destroyed. Um, he's made our country weak, poor, and defenseless uh, by uh, wasting money on back office bureaucracy, on botched uh, purchases of equipment, and on um, useless foreign aid to dictators, terrorists, and multinational bureaucracies with woke agendas. So my, my common sense plan will be to cut the back office bureaucracy, the foreign aid to dictators, terrorists, and global bureaucracies, and the waste in our procurement, and put all of those resources into frontline equipment for our soldiers, sailors, and airmen. Uh, that will allow us to boost both our spending on defense as a share of GDP, but also to get more bang for the buck, literally and figuratively, so that we can stand on guard for our country. Mr. Polyev, thank you very much for making time for our show today. Tax the tax, build the homes, fix the budget, stop the crime. Thank you very much. Pierre Polyev, the leader of the official opposition here in Canada, joining the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Oh, I'm stuck between that rock and hard place. I'm a minute late for news already, but I hate denying you a voice. Doug, like 30 seconds. Go for it. Sorry, Mike, no problem. I I got to tell you, and I hope maybe you remember, when he first came on the scene, I was kind of disappointed in Mr. Polyev. He seemed to be a my way or the highway type guy. Uh, He's worked very hard at, at reforming his image and making himself somebody who cares about what we have facing us day by day. And, yeah, Trudeau has really screwed things up. So, uh, you know, I don't know what it's going to cost us to fix, but uh, right now I'm in his corner. All right, Doug, thanks for being to the point on that. We'll have a lot more time being between 12 and 1 with our 12 o'clock talkback hour today. Right now to the City News Centre for an update, and then from federal to provincial politics. The legislature at Queen's Park back in session yesterday. Are we going to get it done? We'll talk about it next on the Mike Farwell Show. Every day is a brand new adventure. Now, it's time to embark on this journey together. Trending this half hour on the Mike Farwell Show. On City News 570. Today in Ontario, housing starts are down from last year. The cost of housing is skyrocketing and rents are worse than ever. Encampments have become the norm in most cities. Will the Premier finally act and support our proposal to build the affordable non-market housing that people desperately need and bring back real rent control? The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that is the leader of the official opposition here in the province of Ontario. We just had the federal conservative leader and leader of the opposition federally in Ottawa. Here in the province, Marit Stiles leads the official opposition, the Ontario NDP. That from question period yesterday as Queen's Park returned to session from a 10-week break. Catherine Fife is the MPP 
for Waterloo. She's also a member of the official NDP opposition, and Ms. Fife makes time for our show this morning. Catherine, a big omnibus bill introduced yesterday, Bill 162, the Get It Done Act, as is so often the case with these larger bills, the devil is in the details. Are you concerned with all that is in the Get It Done Act? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. This government is very quite, they're quite famous for their omnibus pieces of legislation, which, as you mentioned, have several schedules in them. Some of those schedules are competing with each other. Uh, but I think my concern really comes from a place of, you know, we've just traveled around the province, Mike. We've listened to people uh, around the cost of living crisis, around the housing crisis. Um, and certainly healthcare is top of mind for Ontarians. And this is a piece of legislation which demonstrates that this government is flailing. They are backtracking on some very poor policy decisions. But it's been called gimmicky or a political stunt. And, and these are serious times for Ontarians. And so this, uh, once again, doesn't meet the moment. It shows that Doug Ford is more concerned about playing politics than actually governing. One of the schedules within this omnibus bill talks about urban boundary expansions, and it it reads to me like at least Waterloo Region is in some consideration here for going back to lands that had previously been reopened. Should we be worried at all about urban boundary expansion? Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's why an omnibus piece of legislation is so distracting from the actual content of the bill. Uh, we. Waterloo should be concerned. I mean, this is a government that has interfered in municipal boundaries, uh, has overridden local democracies in, in, you know, how we want to see and how we need to see our cities grow. Uh, and, and, you know, this is a government that's even had to backtrack on the Peel dissolution, which they, I think I, re- I remember doing an interview with you. And this is legislation that passed in seven and a half hours, right? Where they were going to dissolve Peel and and Mississauga would be its standalone um, city, and now they've had to reverse that because the cost to local taxpayers were somewhere in the area of three billion dollars. So this is this is what's worrisome is that the it's a very populist government who really is not in touch with the people that were elected to serve. So I mean, take take any number of reversals that they've had to take action on. I mean, they they have to repeal Bill One Twenty Four which was an incredibly damaging piece of legislation for health care and education and public services. They're going to backtrack on Peel. They, they've had to walk, over, walk away from the urban boundary issue because the, the pressure was so strong. And then, of course, we have a criminal, an RCMP criminal investigation into Greenbelt, into the Greenbelt decision, which would have benefited, you know, Ford's friends to the tune of $8.3 billion. So this is... Um, you know, this piece of legislation is, you know, demonstrates that, you know, we're the people of Ontario are, are paying the price for a really poorly governed government who really doesn't have us at the center of their decision making and, and thinks that it's, you know, somewhat amusing to bring forward legislation which bans tolls on roads where there are no tolls, right? And this you know, Doug Ford knows you can't tie the hands of future governments. So this is performative legislation, which, uh, you know, which we're trying to push back on because we do have a health care crisis. We have hospitals running deficits. 
the housing starts are down in Ontario because of this government's flip-flopping and, and messiness. And the cost of living crisis is real. Like food bank use has never been higher in Ontario. So we're trying to stay focused on the solutions at Queen's Park um, and then really trying to get this government to, you know, refocus. But it's, it's a full-time job, I can tell you. What priorities do you have, Catherine, as this sitting of the legislature gets underway? So we we have a budget coming up in March, uh, Mike, and given what we heard uh, around the province, we've submitted a dissenting opinion about where strategically we should be investing. So one, that we could meet the needs of health care, of education, um, and that includes, you know, uh, fighting for a housing development here in Northern Waterloo, which is promising 3,400 affordable housing units, which this government has held up for four years. Uh, so for me, the, the number one priority is the budget because the the investments needed uh, in, for Ontarians to actually reach their potential need to be very strategic. And uh, that's one of my core uh, core issues. Um, but the other issues, of course, are you know air quality in schools. Let's create good local jobs in our community by ensuring that local technicians are employed by school boards and that we are cleaning the air so students stay healthy. Uh, these are key issues. And as well, um, of course, you know, I'm still fighting to get the government to pull forward my Till Death Do Us Part Act, which would keep seniors together in long-term care. There's no shortage of things to fight for, uh, but there is there is really there's a roadblock with this government when you, when it comes to real solutions on housing on healthcare. When it comes to healthcare, air quality in schools, the education file generally, we know healthcare education two biggest line items in the provincial budget. In order to make those investments that you and the provincial NDP would like to see, Catherine, would it require increased revenue by way of new taxes? Well, not on the healthcare front. I mean, what we take issue with is that, uh, for instance, on the privatization, like this government has uh, created a second you know, pathway around the profiteering around healthcare, and that was through Bill 60, which we did fight. Uh, so think about this you have $80 billion for a healthcare budget, but of that $80 billion, 30% is going to profit. It's going to shareholders. It's going to agencies that are charging, you know, three times what a hospital nurse would be making. This is, I've said this to the finance minister so many times, this is not financially sustainable. We need to make sure that every dollar that's going into healthcare is going into patient care. And that includes, you know, ensuring that we have the human resources uh, by way of nursing and doctors. 2.1 million Ontarians do not have a doctor. So the, what, what we would argue is that it's not about, you know, throwing more money at a problem. That's proven to be not successful. It's about holding people accountable for where the money is going uh, and, and ensuring that every dollar is going to patient care. And uh, Bill 60 undermines our goals as a province to ensure that health care is strong and viable and sustainable. And the political fiascos and, and the circus that Queen's Park has been, has become, is not helping instill confidence in, you know, that fiscal responsibility. The circus that Queen's Park has become, is that the way that question period happens these days? Like, what, what is it that's leading us to that three-ring environment? 
Well, we're we're very far apart. I mean, uh, there's two parties, two recognized parties at Queens Park right now. Obviously, the Ford Conservatives, and then Marat Stiles and the official opposition. We we are fighting for greater transparency in funding. This is a government that's well documented now that makes a lot of decisions in back rooms without consulting, and then has to walk back a lot of that legislation. And um, they are they're uh, they're banking on people not paying attention and not and not becoming engaged. And I, I think that this is for for us the stakes are high. We do need people to be engaged in, in what's happening at Queen's Park. Uh, I would agree with you, like the yesterday was very raucous in question period because because for us the stakes are high. So the Conservatives are on the on the ropes, if you will. Uh, it's unprecedented that the RCMP is, is launching a criminal investigation into a government. Um, our focus, though, is to ensure that we're bringing the real issues, like privatized health care and people paying $5,000 a year just to access primary care. Those are the issues that we're bringing to Queen's Park in a very serious manner. Unfortunately, we do not have a serious provincial government and a leader in Doug Ford. Catherine, as always, we appreciate your time on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Mike. Have a great day. Waterloo MPP Catherine Fife joining us on the program, a member of Ontario's official opposition, the NDP, responding to the Get It Done Act and the first day back in the provincial legislature. So what say you? Is Bill 162 something that's going to get it done? It's, I'm trying so hard to not go Larry the Cable Guy here. Get her done! But I just went there. Is this a bill, is this legislation in Ontario something that will get stuff done? You tell me. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. This is performative legislation, which we're trying to push back on because we do have a health care crisis. We have hospitals running deficits. The housing starts are down in Ontario because of this government's flip-flopping and messiness. And the cost of living crisis is real. Are we going to get it done here in Ontario? That's the name of an omnibus bill tabled yesterday as the legislature resumed. And that, of course, is the voice of Catherine Fife, NDP, MPP from Waterloo. 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Paul, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Well, I'm doing okay. As I was sitting a few hundred yards offshore out in the ice uh, yesterday with the uh, fishing line through the hole I drilled in the ice. Nothing going on, so I was listening to the radio and listening over, uh, listen live, you know, and I heard you talking about uh, an issue here in Cambridge where the um, developer, uh, the city missed the deadline, so they went straight to the uh, Ontario Land Tribunal and got an approval for what they wanted. Correct. This is what they're talking about when they say, get it done. If the city had gone ahead and done their due diligence 
in a timely manner instead of leaving things until it got too late, then they might have had some say. But instead, you know, they push things off. They need a report from committee. They need a report from city staff. They need to review this. It needs to go back to city council. Everything, all the stuff that delayed the process in order to get a building permit, and the city lost their right to have any say in the matter. But this is the stuff that you want, right, Paul? Because when we talk about amalgamation, you don't want bigger. You want that local check and balance, that close representation, right? Exactly, but these people need to do their job. <laughs> how, how did that thing get that far? I don't know. Somebody could just turn around and go to the... Uh, uh, land Tribunal. I keep saying OMB. I, I get you. And it's, yeah, I'm old with you on that, too. And I think that's the that's the million-dollar question here, Paul. That's so what we have if, to find out. If we are going to... You should ask Pierre about getting rid of the gatekeepers because these are the ones that are blocking development. They're blocking uh, housing uh, starts, everything else. The, but no, uh, hang on a second, though. You're, you're talking out of both sides of your mouth here, though, because you want that check and balance there as long as they do it in a timely manner. Yes, okay. in a timely manner. You don't sit there. People are making investments, and it's costing them money. Every time or every day that shovels aren't in the ground, it is costing them money. And if the city isn't going to participate and do their job, then they just step over their head. Okay, but, but th- th- that's what happened here, though. So do you, want, do, you want them to have, do you want the city to have less time to give a response? I want them to do it in a timely manner within the uh, the legislated deadline. Okay, so you're okay that's with the... How, that's how the, they went ahead with it, right, because the but, city did not meet the deadline. But I know that, but you're talking about removing the gatekeepers. Well, the gatekeepers got removed here. So what, what I'm trying to figure out is, do you want a shorter timeline? Or do you want... They got removed because they didn't do their job. I Okay. I, I, I'm hearing two different things there. Like, Paul's not wrong. That's what happened. And we should be asking the question, why did it happen? Then he talks about removing the gatekeepers, which would remove that check and balance altogether. But he wants that check and balance. So I don't know. The the point here, and and Paul is right, I will stress again, is we need to figure out why Cambridge was unable to complete its part of the work on time. That is an important question. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Well, we have clearly struck some chords this morning, and I wish I could continue plucking away, but I'm running behind my time. It's my fault. I'm sorry. But remember, we do have the 12 o'clock talkback hour, okay, from noon until 1, where you can bring these issues back to the conversation, and we'll have a discussion about them. Right now, we got to get you to the City News Center for an update, and then should the president of Conestoga College resign. That's what unions associated with the school say. We'll find out why coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Well, Conestoga College President John Tibbetts has been laying low this past week or so, and you can probably understand that given the firestorm that followed his comments at a public event hosted by the college, during which he called the president of a fellow college here in Ontario, 
how to put this delicately. Let's just say a very unsavory name or used an unsavory term to describe his fellow president. I will just leave that right there. The Board of Governors at the college has issued a statement saying that President John Tibbetts regrets the comments, apologizes for them, and that this does not align with the values of the institution. However, nothing further from the board. And I'll let you know that we have reached out to the chair of the board for comment and our overtures to this point have been ignored. We have not received a response in our efforts to get the chair of the board on the show. However, the fallout, dare I say, continues as a couple of union leaders are now calling for the resignation of the president of Conestoga College. Leopold Koff is the head of OPSU Local 237. Vicky Poye, the president of OPSU Local 238. They both join the program. Leopold, good morning. Good morning, Mike. And Vicky, good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. If I could start with you, Vicky, what was your initial reaction when you heard the comments made by President Tibbetts? Embarrassed and shocked. That puts it right to the point. Embarrassed and shocked. Why? Um, well, I can tell you that if one of our head members had said something like that, uh, I'd be heading into meetings. So to hear our college president uh, say those remarks, and while the derogatory term towards the, the president of another college was uh, actually, you put it quite well, um, Mike, but the other comments regarding our international students, I think, is the one that we really should be looking to reflect on because it really doesn't go with the values, especially with our employee code of conduct at Conestoga College. So that was a big, uh, it was a big, oh dear, moment. Leopold, is this a pattern of behavior that you have seen from President Tibbetts? in recent years? Well, there are rumors. Um, People won't disclose any private meetings and such, but I think it's a bigger picture, and that is that the Board of Governors is basically the governing oversight for the whole college and all the employees, which we serve. We serve the institution, all of us. And, and, uh, And the president as well is employed by the board. Uh, there's a code of conduct that is applied to all and should be applied equally. And it is that we are to serve the credibility and the and the image of the college appropriately and properly at all times. That's why we called on the board to take action. Uh, it sounds like the board doesn't appear to be willing to do anything more. Um, this is where perhaps Vicky and I might consider um, perhaps making an overture to the Ministry of Colleges and Universities to suggest that perhaps there should be um, a second review from an impartial level, from the ministry level. So to be clear at this point, Leopold, uh, it is your position and Vicky's position that the president should own this himself and step down, resign from his job. Well, actually, we had uh, asked, suggested, Mike, because of the the 35-plus years of commitment and dedication that John has uh, put to the college and given to the college, uh, that, that, you know, a retirement perhaps would be uh, a a, a fair way to suggest that the board proceed, if that be their decision. Vicki, when you look back over those decades of service that John Tibbetts has provided and leadership to Conestoga College, 
what would how would you describe his tenure? Um, I would call him dedicated to his vision of what the college um, does, which I mean we can value that, but I'm not sure that uh, vision um, is aligned with what is uh, happening now. <clears throat> I do want to say, Mike, that uh, uh, we have the same response from the the Board of Governors and John as well. We sent the letter and we have not received a response, let alone a confirmation of acknowledgement. Has there been any time along the 30-plus years, Vicky, where you did feel as though there was alignment between the president and employees, unionized employees at the school? Um, I've been a 10-year employee. Uh, I've been the president for the local support staff union since 2016. Um, There has not been a lot of inclusion or um, collaboration between, I'd say, the the local and the, the college president. But, I mean, I, we appreciate his, his, his vision. Um, again, we just don't think it aligns with, with what's happening at the ground level anymore. Leopold, you, you suggested that perhaps a, a next step is getting the Ministry of Colleges and Universities involved in this. Are you setting a timeline on that? Have you asked the board or the president for a response of any kind by a, a given date, for example? Uh, no, it's not about us declaring any kind of an ultimatum or anything like that, Mike. Uh, what, what, we're, what we're looking for is that the fairness and application of the policy be applied to all equally. And and that's what we're really requesting here. Uh, if we need to, then that would be the next step, I, as I see it. And Vicky and I will discuss uh, if and when we would be proceeding with that request uh, moving upward. Mm-hmm. But again, it's it's something that is, is still uh, awaiting some kind of feedback from the board and or from the president. Do you feel this has irreparably harmed the reputation of Conestoga College? I don't believe so. I believe this is, as in our letter, it indicates that we believe this could be an opportunity right now in timing where we can truly try to embrace equity, diversity, and inclusivity in the leadership of the college. And this could be a moment in time when that can occur and we can move forward in a very positive way in a different direction. Vicki, when it comes to inclusivity in the school, we know that Conestoga College is now home to thousands of international students. Is there a sense of inclusion on campus? So if I can look to my demographics of our membership, the support staff specifically, because I can only speak to them, um, I can say that I I have noticed a change just in with our... Uh, membership. I mean, we've hired, the college has hired over 200 new support staff members in the past year. And uh, I do say that many that I've met would, um, gives me hope. We've spent a lot of time and I'm very proud at the college ground level, even in our union college committee meetings, we've brought forward our EDI or, you know, and, and that's something that I've been very proud of. Uh, we've talked about, you know, how this looks at our hiring level, how it looks when we have our um, Black, racialized, Indigenous 
um, members of the community that are applying for our positions and how our hiring board looks. Do they see themselves in that hiring committee? Also, those hiring committees can provide um, good good feedback in the hiring if there is um, EDI included. So I do believe at the college level we are making grounds and we're, we're moving. Um, so I think it's starting. I think we can do better, especially at our senior levels, uh, maybe even looking to our Board of Governors. Vicki, Leopold, I appreciate your time on the show this morning. Thank you both for being here. Thank you very much for giving us the time, Mike. Perfect. Thank you. Leopold Koff, OPSU Local 237 President, Vicki Poyer, the president of OPSU Local 238. Those unions representing staff and support staff at Conestoga College have sent a letter jointly to school president John Tibbetts, the school's board of governors, suggesting that it might be time following these unsavory remarks by President Tibbetts that he make his graceful exit and retire. Little nudge towards a call for a resignation here. What say you in the wake of what we all heard and what was widely reported last week? Is it time for change at the top of Conestoga College? Your thoughts always welcome on the program. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It's not about us declaring any kind of an ultimatum or anything like that. What we're looking for is that the fairness and application of the policy be applied to all equally. And that's what we're really requesting here. But again, it's something that is still uh, awaiting some kind of feedback from the board and or from the president. We also still await feedback from the board of governors at Conestoga College. We had reached out for comment following the president's outburst last week and have not received a response to join us on the show here. But that is the voice of Leopold Koff, who's the head of OPSU Local 237 at Conestoga College. Vicky Poyer joining us as well, the head of OPSU Local 238. And jointly, those union presidents have suggested that perhaps after some three-plus decades in the job, it's time for John Tibbetts to retire. Uh, your thoughts always welcome on the show, 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Ian, good morning. Hola, Mike. How you doing, buddy? I'm well, thank you. Good. So what have I been saying for quite some time now? Um, you know, I'm, I can see it right firsthand. And to be really honest, when I heard the comments of calling the other guy a whore, I kind of thought to myself, well, aren't you all kind of whores? Because, you know, the, the international students are paying quite a bit more than domestic students. And it's just at a point where... If it's getting to this type of language and attitude and everything, then you know what? I think the whole system kind of needs to take a reevaluation in general. Um, John, you know what? Yeah, I'm, he's done some great stuff for the community and for the college, but at, at some point, I think it's time to get some, you know, fresh ideas in. And, uh, you know, I can tell you for a fact that there's a lot of people that are really not very happy um, with what's going on. And this is just before even the comments. It's been a while. 
And, you know, let's get back to what is important, and that is education. Um, I, I see, and I'm saying this bluntly, there are too many of these students not coming in for education, but for a permanent residency card. I actually had a conversation with Michael Harris as well on Family Day, and when I'm hearing, you know, he's saying he, uh, he meets a student who's living with 13 other students in the house, that is a huge problem uh, for safety concerns. And, and also, what is the college trying to, um, what are you showing to the rest of the world where you're saying, oh, we're just going to cram students into these houses and we can't properly house them? Uh, you know, the job market as well, the amount of resumes going out, uh, et cetera. So, I mean, I could be on this for a long time about this, but I think really when it comes down to it, we need, we do need some change. And uh, I think the whole system really does need a change. All right, Ian, appreciate the call. On the issue of crowding, I, I totally get it. I, and worth exploring further the conditions that that particular student or others might be living in. I'll just add this for the sake of conversation. One of my best friends in high school was one of 18 children in his house. 18. And they lived in a little bungalow over by Fairview Park Mall. <laughs> Just put that out there. Greg, good morning. Morning, how you doing? I'm all right, how are you? Not bad. Good, is it time for the president of Conestoga College to resign? I don't think so, not over this. He's done some great things for the community, like he's grown that uh, college, uh, skilled trades, all that kind of stuff. And this one... Day. He had some bad comments. Maybe he had a bad day. Shouldn't define his career. And uh, they couldn't even come up with an example of how he's a bad guy or anything because his tenure's been relatively good. But now they say he should step down over this uh, one incident. I don't think that's right. Greg, I appreciate the call. I think there's a lot to be said here for what John Tibbetts has done. I mean... The track record is pretty remarkable. How he's built the school is pretty remarkable. And I think Greg takes a rather pragmatic approach to this, doesn't he? I mean, this is, albeit a a very dark mark on the resume, does this one black mark mean the end of someone's career? Is it time for him to retire? One moment of weakness, unless there were more, we heard... The union presidents uh, allude to rumors, but I haven't heard anything substantiated. It puts the college, the board of governors, the community, really, in an interesting position. We'll take a break, come back with more of your calls right after this on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Ahead of an update in the City News Centre, let's go back to the phones, get more of your thoughts on the future of the president of Conestoga College. Union reps are suggesting that President Tibbetts consider retirement following his comments, derogatory comments, about a fellow college president here in Ontario. Dylan, good morning. Good morning. Um, I, I I hope the board of directors has a little more common sense than these union presidents. Uh, people got to get a little more accustomed to being offended. Uh, nothing great happens without someone being offended somewhere. You spend enough time in the spotlight, you're going to offend someone. When did we become a society where as soon as you make a mistake, it's off with your head? This is craziness. The man's done so much for decades. 
makes one slip them. Let's well, slip but, up. No, Let for them sure. apologize. Right. And and I'm honestly, Dylan, I'm I'm still waiting for that. Like I I think I, I'm surprised that President Tippett himself hasn't come forward and and done that. And I, I hear where you're coming from in this. Like it's it's a one off, but. This is like we we are going to agree that this certainly is not conduct becoming a community leader, right? No, no sure, but right. the thirty the thirty years prior has been. Yep, yep. So, like I say, everyone's entitled. When I when I used to fight with my sister, my mom would say, "Apologize." I apologize. That was the end of it. You know, like people are just way too sensitive. There's so much bad stuff happening in the world today, and this is what you're going to concentrate on. It's ridiculous, and. Those two union people, you don't think they have ulterior motives? Like, you don't think that, that the president of the college and the union presidents have clashes before before this incident? I'm sure they're playing on this for, for other reasons more than what he said. If these people in the shadows hanging out waiting for you to make a mistake, it disgusts me. All right, Dylan. Appreciate the call. I, I understand where you're coming from, and I'm glad that we agree that... While seemingly a one-off, it's way off, right? It's a it's a one-way off here, but I I do subscribe to the larger point here. Is this really ugly incident going to tar an otherwise uh, stellar reputation? I think it would be important. I think it is important for the president and the board of governors to get into the public's ear about this. So the offer remains open on this program for sure. An update from the City News Centre and then your opportunity to put a little pink in the rink this weekend. We'll tell you how coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. I remember not long before Christmas having the chance to share with you the story of bringing Santa to a community center in Breslau so families could have a low-cost opportunity to meet the big guy, have some pictures taken, and one of Kitchener's minor hockey teams was heavily involved in that by way of volunteerism. Not too long after a minor hockey team in Waterloo rallied behind their coach whose wife was battling cancer and organized a cancer fundraiser and now we get the opportunity to share with you a pink in the rink game that's coming to waterloo this weekend dave horn is the head coach of the u14 kitchener triple a team and joins us for a conversation dave it's great to get you on the show good morning good morning mike how are you today i'm just terrific thank you sir how are you I'm great. I, I appreciate this opportunity, so thank you so much. I'm really happy to do it because I just I love how our teams get involved, and I think that comes from good leadership, so kudos to you and the rest of the staff with this U14 AAA team. But tell me about Pink in the Rink coming up this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So this weekend on uh, Sunday at 11 a.m., we are hosting the Huron-Perth Lakers, and together we're hosting a Pink the Rink game in support of one of our families, and anybody who's battling cancer. Um, coaching minor hockey is kind of, it's not always about wins and losses. It's about teaching life lessons to young men and young, young women. And this is just another opportunity for us to have the boys learn about what community is all about 
um, and kind of spread awareness and, and show that it's more than just hockey. You've done something similar in the past. How did that go, and, and what does it give you by way of a foundation to be doing this again? Yeah, that's it was an amazing event. We did it a couple years ago coming out of COVID for um, the Kitchener Minor Hockey's Vice President, Regan Uke. Uh Her son was playing on our team, and we really saw a big community outpour. We were able to connect with the Grand River Hospital Foundation in Scotland's Yard, um, we raised a lot of money, um, and we, we had the boys kind of think outside the box and really connect and play for family. Um, we realized that we can make it even bigger, and we've now incorporated a silent auction um, and a chuck-a-puck and some other cool little activities that are kid-friendly for anybody that wants to bring their kids. Um, and just, again, try to raise as much money as we can, give back to the community, and show people that, that we're behind their, their battle. So how pink is the rink going to be this Sunday, Dave? What are we going to be seeing during this game? Yeah, so I know one of the best parts about this is, is watching all the boys come in with their, their pink outfits. So our boys wear suits to the games, and some of them get custom suits made for this. It's pretty interesting and awesome. Um, one of the best parts about doing this last time was standing on the bench and looking across. We normally, for our games, only have parents and a few spectators. Um, but seeing the stands full and just seeing a sea of pink it's amazing. So we've asked anybody who's coming to don, whether you've got a pink hat or jacket or sweater or even a cape, anything pink or anything that you want to wear in support of cancer awareness. Um, it's We've got posters up in the arena. We've got uh, pink chocolate suckers that we're, we're selling that are in the shape of breast cancer ribbons. Everything we can have that's pink, we're, we're pumping into the arena. And this is, as you said, Sunday morning at 11. Where's the game going to be? Yes, absolutely. Sunday at 11, um, it is at Sports World Arena. We are kicking off our auction at 10 a.m., um, and the game goes from 11 to 12.30. And I understand, Dave, there will be some guests of honor in attendance and a special ceremonial puck drop on Sunday. Yes, and we're really excited about that. Our guest of honor is Sarah Cochran. Um, she is the mother of our goaltender, Liam, who's going to be playing and starting the game. Um, we also have uh, members from the Grand River Hospital Foundation and uh, Regan Uke, who, again, we did the game for a couple years ago. They're going to be our guests to come and drop the puck for the ceremony. And we have two surprises in store in the form of a mascot coming. So uh, that's, uh, that's all I can say right now. Um, but our social team has worked behind the scenes, and they've really connected with the community and gotten a lot of people out. So um, we just want to see everybody out that wants to come and join us and, and join in a great day, um, and we're excited to host. Come on, Dave. You're going to leave me hanging like that? with It's just a surprise mascot? You're killing me here. Well, we're still waiting. <laughs> we're still officially waiting on one, but uh, I, I will say that Chick-fil-A sponsors us, so it's kind of cool when the cow comes around. So that's what I'm going to say. The boys think it's cool, so... That's what we've got. All right. You know what? I know somebody else who thinks it's pretty cool. Our bus driver for the Kitchener Rangers, the big club, loves his mascots. If we weren't in the Sioux, I'll bet you he'd be there just for the chance to be around the mascots. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I, I believe you. Are, you. are you setting a fundraising target? So we don't have a target because I think we just want to see everybody come out and donate what they can if they're comfortable. Um, all the proceeds uh, are going from our auction and our um, ribbon sales are going to the Grand River Hospital Foundation. And we've also given the option for anybody to make a donation to the GoFundMe set up for the Cochrane family. And all of that will be uh, at our table and on our posters. There, uh, there's a link that we have, um, a QR code 
that's going to be set up and we'll give people the choice um, if they want to donate to uh, the family or continue to donate to the Grand River Hospital Foundation. You mentioned earlier that sometimes, especially the game at this level, is not all just about the wins and the losses. It's about the opportunity as a team to come together like this and support a meaningful cause. Why is that important to you, Dave, and the rest of the coaching staff to impart this on your players? Yeah, that's that's the reason I got into coaching. I had a lot of coaches that helped influence me in my life and helped me become the person that I am today. My mentor still is a guy that I, you know, I was fortunate enough to have as a coach, and he's now become a professional mentor to me. So teaching the boys that Yes, it's about, you know, you have fun playing the game, and we want to continue to keep the game fun, but realizing that we're helping, you know, families, you know, continue to to foster and grow their young people and and give them lessons that are going to help them in their their lives as professionals and as family men and, you know, in the community. I think just coaching in minor hockey, that's what it's all about. And I think our staff, I've got, you know, our staff is really good and really connected with community. Um, we're fortunate that way. And I think, you know, we just want to try to continue to give these boys options and, and opportunities to step out of their comfort zone in a safe space and continue to learn and grow and realize what it's all about. I think it's a great message and a great lesson for the kids. I'm so proud of our young hockey players when they get involved in stuff like this. And once again, kudos to you and the staff with the U14 AAA team. I hope it is so pink in that rink on Sunday that you need sunglasses. Excellent. I would hope so, too. I appreciate that. (laughs) Dave, thanks very much for what you're doing, and thanks for making time for the show. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. Dave Horn is the head coach with the U14 AAA Kitchener Junior Rangers this coming Sunday, 11 o'clock, Sports World Arena versus the Huron-Perth Lakers. Be there and be pink. It's a pink in the rink day. The players will be fully decked out. There will be some opportunities for you to make donations, make purchases, to lead to donations, all in support of the Grand River Hospital Foundation as the team comes together in support of one of their families battling breast cancer. You love to see it. This is the Mike Farwell Show. Uh, If you missed it earlier, federal conservative leader Pierre Poiliev joined our show. You'll hear that conversation right after this. You're listening to the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570, and you're watching on Rogers TV. Federal Conservative Party leader Pierre Poiliev in Kitchener for a media conference earlier today when you are the leader of the opposition and it's not officially campaign time you kind of start pre-campaigning and that's what Pierre Polyev is doing this week he's making a number of stops in southwestern Ontario it started today in Kitchener and following that stop at a grocery store in Kitchener Pierre Poiliev joined our program for a conversation. He, of course, talked about, among other things, axing the tax, which I think we all understand is his pledge to get rid of the federal carbon tax. And so I asked then what Mr. Poiliev's plan is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and prepare for a changing climate. We need to give people affordable alternatives. Instead of driving up the the cost of traditional energies we still need, like uh, oil and gas, uh, we need to drive down the cost of zero 
zero emitting energy. That means green lighting, responsible nuclear, hydroelectric, geothermal, and tidal wave power so that we can feed our grid with energy from emissions-free sources. Uh, it means mining the minerals that go into electric car batteries so that we no longer import them from high-emitting, coal-burning economies like China. And uh, it means um, giving people the chance to pay less for those alternatives uh, rather than paying more for the kinds of traditional energy that is still necessary. We should bring home production of our mining, our, our resources to this country where we can do it more environmentally responsibly than any other place on earth. I'll be repealing Trudeau's anti-resource law uh, that has been found unconstitutional, that we can produce the greenest, cleanest resources anywhere on earth and at a low price for our consumers. Stopping the crime is timely in this community, Mr. Polyev, because we just had a business owner on our show yesterday who was concerned with, and he spoke for dozens of businesses in his area of the community, concerned with repeated petty thefts and catch and release policies. Would you do anything when it comes to bail reform in this country? Yes. Um, Trudeau's uh, catch and release bail law allows the same repeat violent offenders to be released within hours of their arrest. In Vancouver, for example, they had to arrest and or charge the same 40 offenders 6,000 times in one year. That's 150 per offender per year. Uh, that's because they keep getting released. If police will tell you that they're not even done the paperwork on an arrest before the offender is out on bail and often an hour later again and the good news is we don't have a lot of criminals the bad news is Trudeau keeps turning them loose so I'll bring in jail and not bail which is to say a repeat violent offenders will be ineligible for bail or early parole and that will keep them behind bars and massively reduce crime we did this in the previous Harper government and cut crime by 25% that is common sense, and now we need to bring home safe streets. Do you support a safe supply program for those who are struggling with addiction? Well, I you know the terminology is deceptive because after eight years of Trudeau paying to give out opioids under the slogan of safe supply, the number of overdose deaths has exploded. We've had 40,000 people die in eight years. Uh, overdose deaths are up 200% under this policy. In Belleville, we lost 12 people to overdoses in two hours a couple of weeks back. This is not working. And the reason is that the addicts are taking the tax-funded opioids and they're using them until they're no longer strong enough and then when they want something better they sell sell those opioids to kids and use the profits to buy more powerful fentanyl and the kids use the opioids until they graduate up to dangerous fentanyl and the cycle continues this whole crisis started because of pharmaceutical grade opioids pushed by corrupt pharmaceutical companies why are we profiting those same companies and distributing those same drugs when the solution is to cut that off and instead put the money into treatment and recovery that detox 
counseling, group therapy, yoga, sweat lodges for First Nations, exercise programs, transitional housing back into the uh, job market. And that is the common sense way to bring our loved ones home drug free. The federal government has recently introduced a, a cap on the number of international student visas being issued. This is an issue that is uh, a bit of a lightning rod in our community right now, where our college, Conestoga, uh, last year approved or accepted more than 30,000 international students. What would you say is the right balance of international student visas for our colleges and universities in Canada? Well, the right balance is that a student must have a real university or college admission letter. They must have proof that they have housing, and they must have proof of income before they are granted a visa to come to Canada. Uh, This is how it worked before Trudeau. We had no problems. Our student program was a brilliant success. It was admired around the world. Trudeau came in and allowed fraudsters and crooked consultants, fake colleges to bring in hundreds of thousands of students, so-called students. In many cases, they weren't really studying. They were just getting in to, uh, as a shortcut for other immigration uh, paths. Uh, and that overwhelmed our housing market and um, has caused major problems. So my common sense plan would be to reverse the chaos Trudeau caused in this international student program i'll link the number of uh, the population growth to the growth in our housing stocks so that we can get rid of the shortfall and house our own people Uh, and i'll make sure that anyone who comes here has a home an income and a real university to study at Mr. Polyev, the Secretary General of NATO is asking that Canada set a date to meet its 2% pledge of GDP to defense. Would you commit to a date, and how would you get our spending up to that 2% if it's important? I'm open to coming up with a date. Uh, Here's my common sense plan to to rebuild our forces, which Trudeau has destroyed. Um, He's made our country weak, poor, and defenseless uh, by... Uh, wasting money on back office bureaucracy, on botched uh, purchases of equipment, and on um, useless foreign aid to dictators, terrorists, and multinational bureaucracies with woke agendas. So my, my common sense plan will be to cut the back office bureaucracy, the foreign aid to dictators, terrorists, and global bureaucracies, and the waste in our procurement and put all of those resources into frontline equipment for our soldiers, sailors, and airmen. Uh, That will allow us to boost both our spending on defense as a share of GDP, but also to get more bang for the buck, literally and figuratively, so that we can stand on guard for our country. Mr. Polyev, thank you very much for making time for our show today. Tax the tax, build the homes, fix the budget, stop the crime. Thank you very much. It doesn't stop the sloganeering. Pierre Polyev, leader of the Federal Conservative Party, joining us on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. A community town hall in the region tomorrow evening will have a frank talk about homelessness 
and encampments. Have these tent cities become a permanent fixture in our communities? We'll talk about it coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. You are probably aware that regional councillor Rob Deutschman has been the catalyst for a series of virtual town hall conversations about issues that are impacting our community. He even tackled the big A question, whether or not this should be an amalgamated municipality of one local government or continue its current state of two-tier local governance. Tomorrow, the series of town hall conversations shifts to the conversation around homelessness and encampments in our community. It's called No Fixed Address, a talk about homelessness and encampments. One of the guests of tomorrow evening's town hall is Dr. Aaron Day, who's an associate professor in the Department of Criminology at Wilfrid Laurier University. And Dr. Day joins us this morning. Aaron, good morning. Good morning. How did we get here? And by here, I mean to a community not unlike so many others in this country where encampments seem to be a part of the landscape. Absolutely. What's really important for people to understand is that the crisis that we see here in Kitchener-Waterloo in 2024 is the result of 30-plus years of policy uh, changes that we've made that have focused on privatization that has stripped uh, the social safety net. And so what that means is that the solutions to this crisis will also take some time to undo some of the changes that we made. And so um, there are no quick fixes. I wish there were. Um, there are no quick fixes, but we're dealing with really significant and lo- a long history of, of inadequacy in our policies. Such a great point. And really, I'm glad that's the point you highlight as we embark on this conversation today, which will be continued tomorrow at the town hall tomorrow evening. But this is a result of inaction over decades. So it's important that we remember the length of time it's going to take to undo it, much as we'd rather have it some other way. So what what does that work look like then, Aaron? the work of undoing what's being done that's brought us to this point? At a really high level, I'm sure this is no surprise to anybody, it is about housing. I mean, we just haven't uh, built enough housing. We don't have enough specifically social housing, um, so housing that is not profit-driven. And so that's going to take you know a long time. And we have had some action on that part, on the part of the federal and provincial government, to address that housing piece. In the meantime, people have become entrenched in homelessness. And so people require, some people require significant um, support and care to make sure that when they are housed, that it's successful, that they have the wraparound supports they need to be able to permanently maintain that housing. So we need to be um, working with folks who are homeless now to try to make sure that they are able to access housing. We need to have that housing in the first place. And then the other thing that we need to be doing is preventing homelessness so that we don't have to wait until people are entrenched, are mired in homelessness before we help them. So how can we stop it before it starts, which is, in the end, cheaper and you know the right thing to do to not have to make somebody suffer through trauma in the first place? 
This is about housing first and foremost, but as you allude to, Aaron, there is a complexity to the issue. And is it because of that complexity and the intersection of these various issues that makes this more than just about housing? I mean, we can't just build a building and put the people that are currently living on a street corner into the building, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly it. So there are some people that you could do that. Sure. There are people experiencing homelessness right now in Waterloo Region who are older adults who are experiencing homelessness for the first time because their pension no longer covers the cost of rent as rent has increased. And they are, I mean, I I can't even imagine what that must be like for your parents or your grandparents to just all of a sudden um, be homeless. So there are folks who you could just right now plop in a home and they'll they'll be completely fine. But to your point, there are other people who, who will need that support. And some of the research that I've been doing is about people's experiences of loneliness and isolation when they go from homelessness to housing and how negative that impact is when people are feeling completely isolated, completely alone, um, and don't have the care that they, they need to be able to maintain that housing. So we need a range of responses. Uh, and some will be quick and simple and easy, and others will be more permanent and more ongoing. And so we need to be able to offer that to all sorts of people. Do you have any sense, Aaron, of the role a municipality itself can play in solving this? I'm so glad you asked that question. I um, have actually quite a bit of sympathy for the municipalities. The municipalities across Canada have been downloaded the responsibility, the enormous responsibility of trying to manage homelessness and housing. The federal government passed it on to the provinces. The provinces passed it on to the municipalities. The municipalities of all those three orders of government have the least ability to generate income, have the least, they don't have HST, right? They don't have uh, GST or PST. So they have the least income and they are responsible for managing all of this. So I, I think that I, really where this goes is we need federal and provincial leadership and not putting this all on the shoulders of municipalities. At the same time, um, there are lots of things that municipalities can do um, to be able to respond to this. And that is things like, you know, stopping the forced eviction of encampments, um, being, doing everything they can, like providing um, municipal and regional land to be able to build that social housing and providing the kind of uh, support for organizations to offer um, services and wraparound support. Really excellent insight and makes me look even more forward to tomorrow night's town hall. Aaron, thank you very much for being part of the show this morning. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Dr. Aaron Day is an associate professor in the Department of Criminology at Wilfrid Laurier University. There is not a lot going on locally these days that frustrates me more than this issue because we've talked about it so many times. I have come to learn and I understand completely where Erin is coming from when she talks about 30 years of inaction, downloading, stripping away the social safety net that has led us to this point, and now we find ourselves here and we desperately want it to go away, and it is not going to go away overnight. And the impact on our cities is profound. For those of us who are fortunate enough to have stable shelter and we drive around our community and we see these encampments very visibly. It's unsettling. It puts it, I mean, I, I think the good news is it puts it right in our faces so that we have to acknowledge it and we have to address it. 
but how, as a municipality, do you do that? And and it struck me when Aaron talked about, you know, imagine that elderly person whose pension doesn't cover constantly increasing costs, rent, etc. Sure, you could put them in an affordable place tomorrow, if that place even existed. But gosh, do I worry about the work that municipalities are doing to try to combat this issue by driving up the costs, right? As you increase property taxes, guess what? That property owner who is renting out is going to increase the rent to offset the property tax increase. And you've got those older people living in those buildings who may find themselves unable to afford it. And as you're trying to correct the problem on one side, you're exacerbating it on another. Frustrated as all get out is where I am on all of this. Where are you at? Are you okay with encampments being a permanent part of our housing landscape? At at least a long-term part. If it took us 30 years to get here, can we get out in 15? But if for the next 15 years, there's an encampment on the corner of Weber and Victoria and Kitchener, how do you feel about that? Let me know your thoughts on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. The municipalities across Canada have been downloaded the enormous responsibility of trying to manage homelessness and housing. The federal government passed it on to the provinces. The provinces passed it on to the municipalities. The municipalities of all those three orders of government have the least ability to generate income. They have the least income and they are responsible for managing all of this. Dr. Aaron Day is an associate professor in the Department of Criminology at Wilfrid Laurier University. Joins us to talk about an upcoming town hall tomorrow evening, 6.30 until 8.30. It's virtual. You can log in and join. It's called No Fixed Address, a talk about homelessness and encampments. Aaron, along with several others, will be a part of the Community Town Hall, hosted by Regional Councillor Rob Deutschman. For more information and to join yourself, just visit wrcommunitytownhalls.ca. Let's go to the phones and get your thoughts on encampments as a long-term part of the landscape in our community. I personally don't see them going away anytime soon. Tim, what do you say? I think uh, if we create a, uh, a safe space, um, I don't see a problem with it. How is it any different than uh, going camping with a family in a designated camping area? Um, if you have the proper resources in place, I think it's an okay idea. Um, green spaces are, are abundant. If we create a designated space that have the resources available, it's clean, it's safe. I'm all for it. Do you think it remains safe for other people that want to also share or use that green space? If the proper uh, facilities are provided, that would be up to the individual themselves taking part in that, uh, that particular space. All right, Tim, I appreciate the call and the thought on that. And we have seen communities try to move in a direction like that creating a space within the city for permanent encampments. Adam, what say you? Uh, Good morning. I'm from Toronto myself, and homelessness has always been something I've seen, uh, College Park and such. But, you know, we're we're talking about homelessness, and we're ignoring public policy, 
and we're asking the federal leader of the opposition about women in bathroom or men in bathrooms of women and sports. I mean, listen, I, I just want to point out, I just want to point out, Adam, that the leader of the opposition was on this show today. He was not asked about that. No, I know he was in in his uh, Cambridge uh, event there. Well, and, but uh, you got you got like so what? So what? The focus is off. Okay. And uh, I think that we're we're so messed up with the soft issues and ignoring the fiscal issues that uh, the country's just in the wrong spot right now. Why, why are you focused on those quote unquote soft issues though? You call them a soft issue because it doesn't affect you, right? Well, it does affect me. If How does it affect you? In a train room with a guy uh, who there's no women competing in men's sports and wanting to change in their dressing room. Okay, so now, now, so it is an issue for you then. Oh, sure, it's an issue for everyone. Well, then, well, then, why don't you want? Why don't you want the leader of the opposition being asked oh, about it? Oh boy. Well, you, you you just acknowledged it's an issue for you. So I'm no, trying to. It's it's ridiculous that we're focused on it, and it, it happens every time they're trying to get Pierre in this gotcha moment. The next decision in the election is a financial one. So, so the, every question, every question at a scrum with the leader of the opposition should be about housing and finances. Every question. Well, certainly. I mean, we, we have a corrupt government who keeps stealing from us and never answers to it. No accountability. The list is so long. I've never seen anything like it in my life. But I'm, I'm, I don't understand how you want, like, you get 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes with the leader taking questions and you want them all to be about finances and housing because you don't want anything about the soft issues, yet the soft issues you're concerned with, you just told me. So I don't understand that. It tells me that we we press on soft issues to try and, you know, trap someone into getting attacked by... Trap? Yeah. If you've got 20 minutes, like, you can't ask all the time about... it's. It can't all be about finances and housing. Or you can ask two questions. You know, I have family... I have a family member that lives outside by choice. He comes to my house when it's too cold, but he likes living outside. Okay. Um, so, you know, but my point is, is that every election, every time, you know, they bring up the abortion conservative thing, they bring up the LGBT thing with, you know, like it's nonsense. Let's knock it off. Whether you're, you know, but then why did you bring it up on the show, Adam? I brought it up because I, I'm sick and tired of we're talking about these tough issues for the municipality. Then talk about the tough issue with me. That's what I'm trying to do. Well, I'm trying to talk to you, but you keep arguing with me. Well, because you, you, started you, on focus, some, you started on something completely irrelevant to this conversation. Our focus is in the wrong spot. I hope you appreciate the point. Okay. I, well, I, would, I would appreciate the point, but if you want the focus to be somewhere else, you had the chance to put the focus somewhere else. We're talking about encampments. We're talking about homelessness. And you come on and talk about transgender issues. You made that choice. This is the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, we're talking about homelessness and encampments in our community ahead of a town hall on the issue tomorrow evening. We got a little bit derailed by somebody a moment ago, but I know you can bring this back to the conversation at hand. Jeff, good morning. Good morning, little buddy. How are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you? Well, I miss you, and I'm having my coffee right here looking at you, so it's been uh, it's, a, it's a good morning, what do you think? I just gave you a big wave there, Jeff. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, buddy, um, I, I, you know what I do for a living, so I'm just going to kind of mention something, and I hope I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take up all your time, but I've been uh, all over... Uh, 
most of Canada, all over the states, and uh, the encampment uh, back, they've, they've obviously increased. There's things that I like about it, and there's things that I don't. I feel sorry for them when it's really, really, I see you laughing, responding at me there on TV. Um, I see um, uh, the one downtown Toronto, and I think I got off the sidetrack a little bit, the one downtown Toronto, they, had, they called it the tent, and it was very well run, just like the one up here, off of Ottawa Street, when you get on the expressway, you look to your right, you can see the uh, the houses, that, like the little shacks that are up there. Yeah, for, a better tent city. Yep, there you go. And you know what? It, you look at it, it's very well organized. You can see that. They've got stuff like a, a booth for people to go eat at. Downtown Toronto, when I was there, and that's going back, Mike, before my wife passed away, uh, very well run, uh, very clean. Uh, and I like what I see now where the churches, the churches that have, uh, uh, that are no longer working, they're making them into homes for these people. I think that is totally super. The one thing though, Mike, uh, traveling around now, since I, I stick around, uh, pretty close to around here now, the thing that I don't like, Mike, about these encampments or the tents is that the people are not taking care of the area. And it, it's, um, uh, they're, they're, they're just, it seems like they're just throwing their garbage all over the place, Mike. And that's the biggest thing that, to me, what turns me off is that I know these people are hard done by, but come on, you don't need to make the area that you're living in look like, um, uh, as a polite way of putting it, Mike, as a city dump. All right, Jeff, I got I to gotta cut you because I got to run. I'm already late for news, but thanks for sharing that. Jeff is a trucker. He's been across Canada, as he says, does a lot more local routes today. And yeah, maybe property standards in the encampment areas as well. An update from the City News Centre, and then we tell you Chelsea's story and also how we can support an organization in Guelph that supports children with special needs. That's still to come on the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Tomorrow, the 22nd of February, is National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. And the Empty Space, a terrific cultural institution in our community, is going to make sure we remember it by way of Chelsea's story. Pam Patel is the Artistic Director of Empty Space and joins us for a conversation. Pam, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show, Mike. Oh, thanks so much for making the time. And thank you again for bringing back Chelsea's story. What is Chelsea's story? Tell us about it. Yeah, so Chelsea's story is actually uh, a play that was written by a UK playwright named Sean McGrath. Uh, He was inspired by um, actually a story that happened uh, that was in the news about a woman who was um, trafficked. Uh, she was she'd gone missing, and um, luckily, in that story, you know, she was able to escape, and and she's uh, she she was able to reunite with her family. But he decided to write uh, this play that would be geared towards youth, so anyone age twelve and up, youth and their caregivers, uh, their parents, teachers, to raise awareness of the warning signs of human trafficking and what. Uh, those loved ones that are around youth as well as youth themselves can do to sort of act on and prevent um, this from happening. So uh, in 2019, the Registry Theatre actually got the rights to the script and they invited me to direct a staged production 
um, which was able to uh, perform at the Registry Theater. We also took it to William G. Davis Senior Elementary School. And we also did a reading at the Grand Valley Institute. And we were gaining some momentum. And as you know, COVID hit in 2020. Um, and actually during COVID, you know, the, the numbers were on the rise. And we were, we were seeing that young people were also being exploited online, didn't have to leave the confines of their home to be, um, to be taken advantage of. And so we realized, okay, we need to keep the show going. So we adapted this play to being a Zoom play. And, uh, and with that, we were able to also integrate some awareness and some language about Internet exploitation and what can happen uh, even when you, you know, you don't, um, you're not trafficked physically or you're not uh, taken out of or taken out of your home or abducted or kidnapped or, you know, those kinds of narratives that we see in, uh, in the movies. That's not always how sex trafficking looks. And so, um, yeah, we're fortunate to be remounting the show again this week we're going to be opening tomorrow and we're going to have three performances uh thursday friday and saturday this is in partnership with the sexual assault support center of waterloo region and the coalition of muslim women of kw and i I think you alluded to it pam having gone back to 2019 when this was first staged covid with the interruption but still continuing with this virtual annual production and it suggests to me that sadly the problem is not going away, and dare I say, it might even be getting worse. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the Sexual Assault Support Center, I know they're working really hard. They're reporting increased numbers. Um, and at the same time, you know, this type of work that we're doing is really making an impact. It's really bringing to light um, some of the things that I think that I think folks take for granted. So... It's important that, you know, we're doing this type of work, not just us, but that others are also talking about this. And and um, our new partner this year is Coalition of Muslim Women, which is really great because uh, some vulnerable folks are the newcomers that come here. And so we're actually having two performances with simultaneous translation, one in Arabic and one in Hindi, to really bring in those audiences and those demographics that make up a large part of the population here. The first of those three performances you mentioned, Pam, uh, is tomorrow. How can we participate? Where can we see Chelsea's story? Yeah, so you can um, go to our website, mtspace.ca. You can also go to the uh, Sexual Assault Support Center website. Uh, You should be able to see registration links, and you can also follow us on social media. Um, The uh, performances are free. They're open to the public. We really just want to get this out there to as many people as possible. You're never shy about tackling the big issues at the empty space, are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, look, like arts, uh, you know, theater, dance, music, all of that for us. It's all a means to an end, right? It's, uh, It's about trying to achieve that social justice. It's about trying to raise awareness. We're so tied to social services, health and well-being, even crime prevention, you know, in this case. And and this is the kind of upstream stuff that needs to needs to happen and needs to be supported. Pam, thanks for the work that you do and the time you've given us on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Pam Patel is the Artistic Director of MT Space. Look them up online. MT as in uh, Michael Thomas, if you will. Uh, mtspace.ca, the Sexual Assault Support Center of Waterloo Region, 
and the Coalition of Muslim Women of KW partnering on the annual production of Chelsea's Story, which has its first of three performances tomorrow, the 22nd of February, which just so happens to be National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. A quick break. When we come back, how we can help an agency in Guelph that helps kids with special needs. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, as the provincial government gets back to work and, quote, gets it done with the Get It Done Act, Bill 162, maybe one of the things that the provincial government can get done is a 5% increase in funding for the developmental services sector. Maria Zagarek is the CEO of Hopewell Children's Homes uh, with its home base in Guelph, eight locations across the province, but home base in Guelph. And Maria joins our program this morning. Good morning, Maria. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much for making the time. And and before we get into the funding crunch that you find yourself in currently, can you tell us a little bit more about Hopewell Children's Homes? Absolutely. So Hopewell, as as you mentioned, operates, we operate in the Guelph uh, Wellington community uh, since 1983. So we're 40 years old. We support about 200 children, youth and adults with developmental disabilities. And we're really committed to providing the best care possible for folks to help them live uh, their best life. And we do that through three pillars of service, um, which is uh, supported living, meaning folks live with us 24-7, respite services where they live with their family, and we provide them with uh, those ad hoc respite opportunities and then recreational uh, supports as well. We have about a staff of, we have staff of what, 130 um, trained and dedicated staff to provide services to folks. Are those services currently in jeopardy due to a lack of funding? I would say on a broader sector, yes. We are seeing organizations reducing services um, because of the lack of funding, uh, this sector, Mike, has, has only seen a 2% increase in funding since uh, in the last 13 years. And when we see, you know, inflation, we're, we're all impacted by inflation. But in that same period of time, inflation has gone up 40%. And so although we're hugely appreciative of the partnership that we have with our ministry, um, we continue to be forgotten um, in in terms of um, adding our sector into the budget preparations. So what does the sector need, Maria? So right now, we are asking for an immediate 5% bump up in, in our base budgets. There is a, a campaign right now that's happening. It's hashtag 5 to survive. And what that is requesting is an immediate infusion of 5% uh, in funding for the entire sector. That represents about $145 million. And then on an annual basis, we also need inflationary increases so that we can continue to ensure the services uh, stay uh, as you know stable and that we're 
um, continuing to pay our staff appropriately, maintain our homes appropriately, just continuing on with regular cost of living. Can you give us any sense of the impact should this funding not be made available by the provincial government? What happens if services have to be clawed back, things have to change at Hopewell? Mm-hmm. So I can tell you that the the need in our community and, and province-wide actually is huge for families uh, with individuals with developmental disabilities. There's about 40,000 adults waiting for service in the province of Ontario. In the Guelph community, that's about 200 people, children and adults that are waiting for service. If, you know, if the sector is compromised, what happens is folks end up using other uh, parts of the community support system, like our hospitals, like our shelter systems, um, hope, homelessness as well would, would increase. And we know that those are already taxed. So that would be an additional burden on our society. Do you have any sense as to how receptive Uh, the province and the ministry is to this appeal? So I I know that in the 24-25 budget, there is a 2.5% funding increase allocated in the Ontario government's uh, budget. And we're hoping that with the advocacy that we are doing right now and the hashtag 5 to survive campaign, that they will really see the value that we provide to our community members and that they will join us in ensuring that we have that appropriate and stable funding to do so. I know that many appreciate the work that you do and thank you for continuing this advocacy as well so that important work can continue. Thanks for being on the show, Maria. Thanks, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Maria Zagarek is the CEO of Guelph's Hopewell Children's Homes. Hashtag five to survive because the development services sector says it needs a 5% increase in that funding across the board in order to continue delivering the services that it delivers. It's about $145 million in funding sector-wide. So 5% increase on that sounds to me, uh, what are we talking about here? About 7.25, give or take a zero million dollars in additional funding. And again, when you hear Maria talk about the impact of not getting that funding, it sounds so much like that death by a thousand cuts, right? If this part of the developmental services sector is not in place, it's just going to put additional strain on other parts of the overall healthcare sector, hospitals, mental health supports, etc. We shall see, because we know that if it's one thing this provincial government likes to do, it's pinch a penny or two. Squeeze a nickel. I got to say squeeze a nickel because we don't have pennies around here anymore. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, we are having ourselves a day here on the program, aren't we? And as we got the show underway this morning, there was a lot of interest in weighing in with our various guests. We dove directly into both federal 
and provincial politics. Of course, federal conservative leader Pierre Polyev was in Kitchener today making a pre-campaign stop. A campaign style stop is probably the language we would usually use around such a stop. He also stopped here on the program for a conversation. We talked with Waterloo MPP Catherine Fife about the Get It Done Act, which was introduced at our provincial legislature yesterday. And it is one of those omnibus bills that includes all kinds of detail that you really have to sift through. I'm still sifting through some of it myself, thanks to our colleague in the City News Centre, Aaron Anderson, for noticing yesterday that there is some language in that rather expansive Bill 162, the Get It Done Act, that suggests the urban boundary will be opened up a little bit here in the region of Waterloo. You may recall the province asked municipalities, ours included, if they would like some further lands made available for development. We said yes, the province said okay, and then it pulled it back and said, no, we're not doing this anyway. Well, now it's pulling back its pullback, if you will, try to make sense of it all. But it sounds like more lands will be made available for development in this community. So that is sure to uh, meet criticism in some corners. We had that conversation. We talked about connected to this idea of opening up more lands for development, uh, homelessness and encampments, which will be the subject of a town hall that you can participate in tomorrow night, hosted by Regional Councillor Rob Deutschman. Visit wrcommunitytownhalls.ca to register and be a part of that town hall tomorrow night. So lots on our plate, and we didn't get a chance to get to every call when those segments were aired earlier today, but lucky you and even luckier me, we get the next 60 minutes to hear directly from you. It can be about one of the issues we discussed on the show today or something else that happens to be on your mind. The open line 12 o'clock talk back hour is coming up right after this update from the City News Centre. It also marks the end of the day for our friends at Rogers TV Cable 20. So thank you very much to Robert and Carla and the entire Rogers TV team for producing the TV side of this show. They'll be back with us again between 10 and noon tomorrow. But as this marks the end of their time, we'll get you to the City News Center for an update. And then opening the phone lines to hear from you during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. You get to start the conversation. I am more than willing, as you know, to participate. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and so long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust out with that broom. Get all that garbage outside. Or you don't go out Friday night. Don't go back. Maybe it was something we talked about earlier when you didn't get through on the phone lines. We've been very busy today. Maybe it's something else entirely. It is your chance to guide the conversation. 
simply by giving us a call at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Rose, we're going to start with you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I have a complaint about the carbon tax, and I wonder if there's any other seniors or senior seniors, which I call myself, (laughs) I'm 86 years old. Bless your heart. Thank you so much. And I think that carbon tax should have stopped at the people in the working force. Because we have no way of enhancing our income other than what? Apply at McDonald's for a part-time job? Like, we, we can't do that. So much like if there's any other seniors or senior seniors that agree with this situation. All right, Rose, I appreciate the call. Obviously, you can control somewhat how much of the carbon tax is applied to you personally by making some choices, consumption, etc. But it doesn't help when it's built into the cost of things that are trucked to various stores, etc. So I hear where you're coming from. And also, I mean, I don't get to look at the books, but we are told that this is a revenue neutral because you get your annual carbon tax payback or rebate, right? So, and in some cases, we're, we're being told that the average Canadian gets back even more than they pay in. But I certainly hear where you're coming from when living on a fixed income. So thank you, Rose, the senior, senior for bringing forward that point. Darren, you're on City News 570, the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Hey, Mike. Okay, I just want to make a little comment about the uh, person who responded to Pierre Polyev's comments. So what they were doing was lumping all three, like a bunch of different categories of like uh, sports and shelters and uh, I think uh, prisons and stuff all together. But just pulling out the one of sports, the person who made the comment that was all upset saying it was anti-feminist, no, it's pro-feminist when you to say the same way. And if that... If yeah. All right, Darren, you're going to have to call back when your cell phone is getting better reception. I'm sorry, but we were losing you there and could not pick up much of what you were saying. So give us a call back when you're in a better cell area, if you don't mind. 519-570-2545, star 570 one 800 Alex, over to you on the 12 o'clock talkback. Yeah, I'm going to go for a twofer. All right, do it. All right. So uh, there's a lot of talk, a lot of talk about uh, lack of housing, correct? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And there's a lot of talk about the hospital is just being it just insanely crushed. Uh, wait times are through the roof. I mean, not that they've ever been good, but just terrible, to that, correct? I also agree. Okay. And what what is one thing that they both have in common? That, that was a huge, huge push on both. A huge push on both housing and health care? Hey, yes. Uh, I, would, I would guess what you're leaning towards here is our rapidly increasing population. No, it's, it's mass immigration. Our rapidly oh, increasing... How is that... Hang, hang on a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did, did well, I not just say that? Well, you, well I suppose. 
Oh, you suppose? You suppose? You don't? You don't like the way I phrased the question, Alex? Increasing population that <laughs> the government has no control. People have babies; they have babies. The government has no say in that. That's population growth. Immigration: the government is one hundred percent responsible for it. It's population growth, that. Alex. We call it what you want. I don't care. Okay. Anyway, thanks. Thank. Thanks for your permission. I appreciate that. I don't care. Anyway, so it's mass immigration. So that has an effect. So if you want mass immigration, fine. Have mass immigration, but the money. For housing and the and the room for housing and the money for hospitals and more hospitals that has to come from somewhere and that's a discussion that's not being had. They talk about the the the, the lack of housing as, a, as an issue and they talk about the hospitals as an issue. The main driver of both of those is mass immigration. So let's have that conversation. All right, can I let me have this part of the conversation with you, sure. then, Alex? Because I understand completely where you're coming from, and there's absolutely pressures that have been placed on infrastructure in this country through immigration policy. What about the other side of that equation that tells us that we're not just an aging population in Canada, we're already aged, and in fact, if we don't have immigration, we're going to be declining in population, and then where does the money come from for anything? Okay, let's have that conversation. Okay. What's the number? What is the number? Obviously, the numbers now are so high that it's causing a massive strain on housing and health care, and a, 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 bunch of, a lot more things than that, too. But let's have the conversation. What's the number we need? Okay. That's the conversation we need to have. Right. Some will tell you the number we need is 100 million. Some people will tell you anything. Okay. <laughs> well, number- okay. So what's your magic number? Are we good at 40 million? Do you want to go back to 30? What no. do you, what's your number? My, put it this way. I think Canada should be a very slowly growing country. 40 million. I, there should be targets. Okay, we want to be at 41 million in, in five years, whatever that target is. Because the other thing... But do you have a number, though? Is, do you have a number that you think is the right number of people for this country? I think we should be growing at about the GDP growth, so half a percent. Half a percent or annually? Or less, yes. Okay. That, and, that's, and when I say growth, that means native population increase... Plus immigration. Yeah. Not just the immigration. So I'm thinking at 40 million, if we're there now, half a percent is about 200,000. Sound about right? That's about right, yes. Okay. So we got 200,000 a year is the growth rate that would be acceptable to Alex. Hey, we got to a number, and that's good. Uh, The number on the clock is 12. It's the 12 o'clock talkback hour, and we continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. The Talk Back Hour is your opportunity to do just that. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. Let's have a conversation. We can expand on something we talked about on the show earlier today. And we've talked about a lot of things, as per usual. Or maybe something else on your mind that you want to bring to the platform. We are all ears. 519-570-2545. Star 570-1800-570-5715. Paul. Good afternoon. Afternoon already? I know. Time flies. Jeez, does it ever. Listen, I heard a promo on uh, uh, the news broadcast, uh, I think, uh, about an hour or so ago about uh, a a new show uh, uh, going on the TV, Law & Order Toronto. 
Is that are you saying that's an oxymoron, Paul? <laughs> no, no, no. There's actually they're putting out a new show called Law and Order Toronto. Yeah. And what I can't figure out is they listed out who's going to play the cop, the cops on the uh, the show. They never said who was going to play the criminal. Are you uh, offering yourself well, they, up? Because I, I mean, I know well, you've got experience as an one, extra. You know, each each week they can arrest them, charge them, put them through the court system, and release them. So the next week they can arrest them again. Ha ha! But that's very only, funny. They, they'll only need one criminal. <laughs> you could do the entire series with uh, you know just a couple of people. You know what, just, Paul? Uh, I give you full marks for creativity on this one. Very well played, sir. Catch just, and release. Uh, yeah, catch and release. Uh, repeat. You know, same thing. People might get a little bored watching the same person every week, though. But at least it'll be real life. <laughs> okay, fair have enough. A great day. You have a great day too. We can call it Law and Order Toronto Catch and Release Edition, right? Isn't it like SVU Special Victim? Is that? I don't even know all those shows. I don't watch them. But again, full marks to you for creativity, Paul. Uh, over to Mark. We go on the twelve o'clock talk back. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mike. Um... Is your bedtime before 10 o'clock tonight? <laughs> why do you ask that? What do you mean? I think you know why I'm asking. Oh, right? right, because there's a Leafs game on. I'll tell you what, Mark. My bedtime might be one thirty this afternoon. I might just go straight home to bed. I'm tired today. You actually sound tired, Mike. Do I? Uh, well, you're doing good, but oh, okay. you, you sound a bit tired. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to. I'm trying to be upbeat like the weather. And a bit cranky. Well, yeah. I, I anyway, Mike, yeah, you know okay. I'm... Are you going to watch uh, number 50 uh, by number 34 tonight? You know what? If he gets it in the first period, I might be able to stick around for it. Excellent, Mike. Take it in if you can. I'll do my best. Okay, man. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Uh, that, rem- <laughs> that reminds me of a funny story from yesterday that I will get to before 1230, I promise. But I want to give you your voice here on the 12 o'clock talk back because that's what the hour is all about. Your phone calls, your voice. And John, you are next. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's Hesper Johnny Michael. Hesper Johnny, I'm good. How are you? Good. Listen, yeah. I'm a little curious uh, when the whole Farwell thing's getting fired up. Farwell for hire, <laughs> and uh, I got a nice big fat check for you here. I don't have any work for you, even though you know I am sort of a little uh, laid up in the wheelchair. But uh, if you want to come over and pick the check up, we can get her started off with a with a nice donation anytime, brother. Well, I'll tell you what, that sounds like my kind of work, John, because, you know, this Farwell for Hire idea, I, I didn't think of the long-term implications of it, you know? <laughs> right on, man. All right, Johnny, good to hear from you, as always. And I certainly do appreciate the support of the Farwell for Hire campaign. Can you believe... Can you believe that we have done that now for a decade? Started it in 2014 with this goofy idea. I says to myself, I says, you know, I can't keep coming out every year and just asking people to sponsor me for the walk or hand over some donation just to see me do the 5K and support the local chapter of cystic fibrosis. It's very near and dear to my heart. The month of May is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month, so that's when we always have the walk, Waterloo Park. I show up as the MC. It's lovely. Everybody has a great time. I would ask for donations, and one day, 10 years ago, I thought, you know, I got to offer something in return. Maybe I'll mow some grass or wash a car, whatever. And who would have thought that 10 years later, we would have raised more than $1.2 million doing that? 
and I'm not going to lie. If you think I'm tired today, Mark says I sound a little tired. I'm really tired from all of that, but oh, is my heart ever full from all of that money raised. Appreciate you, Johnny, and I appreciate your calls during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. We will continue taking them right after this on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. Mark was asking earlier on the 12 o'clock talkback if I'm going to be able to stay up past my bedtime tonight. So I could watch Austin Matthews possibly score his 50th goal of the season. That guy's unreal, eh? Austin Matthews. And as you know, when the Leafs play, the morning after, we do a little something called AM on AM in the AM. Austin Matthews on AM radio in the AM part of the day. It works out so well. My friend Cheryl made the suggestion. I took it. I ran with it. We've been doing it for a couple of years. The good news is AM... Austin Matthews scores so often that almost every morning after a Leafs game the night before, we can play a little AM on AM in the AM for you. And wouldn't you know, yesterday afternoon after the show, I stopped in at New Tech's Cleaners to drop off some dry cleaning. The lady behind the counter was just lovely and said, oh, I love the show. I was listening earlier today. I said, oh, you were. You don't have to just say that, you know. And she said, no, I was. You can quiz me on anything except sports. All I know is Austin Matthews something. And I thought to myself, you know what? She did listen. My work here is done. As long as you have Austin Matthews on the brain, we have done our job here on the Mike Farwell show. So thank you for that. (laughs) Nothing else matters. I don't care if you know how many goals he's got. Just have Austin Matthews on your mind. And I think that means we're doing the good job around here. We continue with the 12 o'clock talkback hour, taking your calls. Charlie, it's your turn. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. Mike, it was really great hearing uh, Pierre Pauliette on there this morning. You're quizzing them pretty good. And he come on pretty good about criminals and uh, getting them and, you know, locking them up, and that's it. You know, and Trudeau is letting them out uh, three, four times, and, you know, that, that, that has to be changed. Yeah, we had a business owner on the show yesterday who was quite concerned about catch and release as well because he's getting victimized by theft from the same person multiple times. Yeah, I know. I heard the guy. I feel sorry for him, really. You know, it's not easy when you're a businessman. You know, you go in the morning, there's $400 you got to pay out for Bray B&E stuff and uh, before you make a buck. You know what I mean? Exactly. You're starting the day in the hole. That's right. It's unbelievable. And, and as far as the Toronto Maple Leafs go... Careful uh, now. I, I, never, I, I never was a big Leaf fan. I think I was 21 years old when they first run the Stanley Cup. I was an apprentice, and we got a bunch of cars down. They took them down Young Street in convertibles. I don't know if you were around then, but that was the last time they won the Stanley Cup. Hang on. You were 21 when they won the Stanley Cup in 67? That's right. Oh, man. But you have such a good memory of that then. Yeah, I do. I was uh, working in uh, you know in Toronto, and we were all cheering them and everything. And then they had... Uh, Right down Young Street, there was it was unbelievable. There was like paper and things flying out the windows and everything. And they took the the team down. It was kind of a I think it was a very warm day, and uh, uh, we fixed up a couple of cars. And uh, they took that convertibles from uh, most of the dealers, got a loan to them for the parade. And the uh, hockey player would sit in the back right up on the, like where the back window goes. Eh? Oh, yeah. I love it. I, I can see it in my mind. My problem, Charlie, is I was born just four years after that last Stanley <laughs> Cup. So I've never seen I'm a little bit younger than you. I've never seen one. Yeah, it was really, it was really something. I couldn't believe it. I wish I had to save some old pictures of it. They were in the newspaper and the Toronto Star front page and everything. And 
It was, it was a great day, you know what I mean? I'm glad to hear it, my friend. Thanks for the call today. Yeah, thank you. Stay well, Charlie. I hope I get to take a picture of it someday. You think that's ever going to happen? Am I ever going to get to take that picture? Uh, probably not. All right, we've got to get you an update from the City News Center. Jeff, Darren, and oh, look, there's still a line for you, too, if you want to be a part of the 12 o'clock talkback hour. We continue on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News. I can't believe it's Wednesday already. Gosh, who doesn't love a Monday holiday? Who doesn't love a three-day weekend? Because it's already Wednesday, that means the day after tomorrow is our second installment of Council Chambers. Every Friday morning at 10 o'clock, we will have a representative from one of our local councils on the show to do a deeper dive into what's going on in their community. This Friday morning's guest will be Dorothy McCabe, the mayor of Waterloo. So if you've got anything Waterloo on your mind, feel free to share it with me, Mike, at 570news.com, and we'll make sure the question is asked of the mayor of Waterloo, Dorothy McCabe, when she joins us on Friday morning at 10 for council chambers. Just a little bit of a look ahead here as we continue with our 12 o'clock talkback hour this Wednesday afternoon. And back to the phones for Jeff. Good afternoon, Jeff. I don't believe it. I made it through again, Mike. Oh, my goodness. Twice <laughs> in one day. I'm going to have to start charging you, buddy. I know, I know. I just got to say, you know what? I'm smiling right now. John Nair, hire for Mike, uh, or hire for Farwell for hire, hire was really good. And I will get on to Charlie in a second here. But, uh, you know, it's so... It's so sad to see on TV what, what, what we all go through. You, you see about the war. You see about the, uh, the, the, the economy, way it's going. And then you get into our, our uh, sports. And that back in 2018, what transpired, apparently transpired. We don't know that for sure. But you know what? It gets to the point where we're getting tired of it. So it's always nice to smile. And why am I saying this? Number one is Charlie. I, uh, I'm just a little bit older than you, Mike, because I'm in the same boat where I do remember, but I don't remember. And I, uh, I'm looking forward to the day that we do the go leaves go get get in there. You betcha. The biggest thing that I've really enjoyed, Mike, and I, I hope everybody agrees, is that uh, uh, they've been showing the Hockey Hall of Fame with the uh, PW. It's the women hockey there, Mike. PWHL, yeah. Yes. I think it's absolutely wonderful. It's it's great to see everybody going out and supporting, and we're kind of maybe, maybe we're forgetting about what transpired until this gets uh, gets told to us, truth or not truth, as far as what's, what went on in 2018. I pray to God that it didn't happen, but if it did, it's nice to have good stories with the women hockey and guys like Charlie and John making us smile on the other end. Take care, Mike. Go Leafs, go, and let's go. Let's see Matthews do it. Catch you later, pal. Bye-bye. All right, Jeff. Thanks very much for the call. Yeah, I listen, on the 2018 story, obviously, Jeff is uh, referring to the five members of that particular year's Team Canada team, the gold medalists who are charged now in connection to an alleged sexual assault at a London hotel. We will let the courts finish off that story for us, but regardless of outcome at this point, I think we all recognize the black eye that it is for the game that we hold so near and dear. Over to Darren. I hope he's in a better cell area now. 
Darren. Hey, Mike, I'm in downtown uh, Waterloo. It should be good. All right. Okay. You okay. know they call Waterloo Uptown, eh? They're fancy like that. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. That's I okay. Yeah, I've been moved here 10 years ago. i got to get used to it. Okay. Nah, no problem. Okay, so, okay, so Pierre Pauly have made some comments about several different uh, categories, topics, and I think it was Faye Johnson responded very upset. So just singling out on the sports issue. So the, my, my point is Faye Johnson tried to say that it's anti-feminist to want just biological females in sports. I think she in, just in, was in, quoted... In uh, sorry, Darren. I think she was just quoted in our 1230 newscast as saying it's dangerous to trans women. Uh, okay. Well, okay. It's, what's dangerous to, to biological girls is having people with the strength of guys hitting a volleyball or, or, or hockey checking, whatever, if you will, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it's a pure, like, I, I know you know a lot about sports, but basically you have to wrap your head around this. The top uh, track athlete for a given event in track, the top athlete in the Waterloo area is better than the best woman on the planet. That's the disparity between men and women. I don't believe that for one second. I just, to, just so you know, I reject the premise of that statement. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll give you exact names. Marcus Kemp won OFSA. Marcus Kemp went to St. Mary. He's OFSA champ. He was OFSA champ a couple years ago. Yeah. His time that he won the 1500 and he won the 3000 is faster than the women's world record as a fact. Okay. It's my but, sport. I yeah, know track. I got you. But you, yeah, you said the best, the, the best male athlete at the high school level in Waterloo is better than the best woman on the planet. And I'm just telling you that I reject that statement. Well, and I just told you Marcus Kemp was. Okay. Marcus Kemp is one of them. No, no, it's, it, that, that's it. When, when they asked Venus Williams if, if, if she would do okay against Roger Federer, she said, are you ridiculous? Are you kidding me? That's not even close. Like, they, yeah, I mean, you know, Billie Jean King, volleyball. Billie Jean King was really terrible against the men, too, in tennis. It's awful. Well, she played a 56-year-old guy, but, but you know that there's a huge disparity between <laughs> girl, women's and men's sports. But that all, all aside, okay. so this, my, my, point, my point is... I would it, love it if you got to the point. It, it is absolutely the, the epitome of pro-feminism to want biological girls to play against biological girls and not have a biological man in there. Okay. And, and when you have a case of a, a change room where a guy, a biological cool. guy goes into a high school change room and lingers around, making all the girls uncomfortable. That, that's the kind of thing that's happening. That's is that what's happening? Uh, that uh, sorry, are there, there are biological men going into high school, <laughs> women's washrooms in high schools and making them uncomfortable? At my daughter's high school, yes. That's happening that's at your daughter's happening. high school? At, at absolutely guaranteed. Darren, I call shenanigans on you. I call shenanigans on that. Mike, 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 Cameron Heights. Okay. Girls' washroom. There's a guy hanging out there. And he identifies as a girl. He's a hairy guy, and he's hanging out there. Okay, it's a fact. Well, I, I again, fact. I call shenanigans, but you can present the facts as you see them in this moment. But I just, I want well, no, you to know. No, no. I, I, I can bring, I can bring eight volleyball girls to your. I can bring eight volleyball girls to your station and tell you, it's a fact. Uh, sorry, it's so fact. eight volleyball it's, players from Cameron Heights are going to come here and tell me that same thing. Yeah. Okay. I can. I can. I can if, if that'll. If that's what you need to. It, it's a real thing. I mean, it's a real thing. Well, you know, Darren, it wasn't like I'm old enough to remember. Okay, when the fact, when the 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 story of kitty litter being in washrooms in public high schools was a real thing, but it was never a real thing. So that's why, forgive my skepticism, but that's okay. No, that's okay. okay. So, 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 Mike, my question for you is: Yes, if that was 
if that was a fact, if you could be shown that was a fact, would that, would, would you find that bothersome? I, I know you have a daughter as well. Would, would, would that bother you if you if there was if it was there was a guy going and not just changing in the girls' change room, lingering around? Of course, I want would, everybody to be comfortable in the spaces that they're in. Exactly. Absolutely, yes. Exactly. So then that's what that's what we're really talking about here. That's what's going on. Maybe people don't know. How is that what we're talking about when you started by talking about the best male high school athlete in Waterloo being better than the best female in the world? Like you've you've really gone around like I don't know what we're talking about exactly anymore. No, no. What we're talking about, what we're talking about is basically fairness to girls and what, what real feminism is. Is sticking up for real women. How do you know what? So hang on. Okay, hang on. Now Darren is the defining answer on what real feminine feminism is. Pardon me. Well, Mike, how about this? How about okay? How about this? uh, How about this? The the corollary saying that 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 not wanting biological men to compete with women is anti-feminist. That's what that's what that that's what that spokesman was saying. I didn't I didn't hear it being anti-feminist. I already told you what was quoted in the twelve thirty news, which just ended before I took your call. They did say what you said, but they also said. In the other, I, I heard, I heard the quote. Of I will have to, I will listen more carefully. Okay, Darren, I appreciate it. Sometimes I take a call and I wonder when I'm going to get my time back because that's five minutes of my life I will not get back. But hey, we've got the next five minutes ahead. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more of your calls. This is my point, but the point started somewhere else. And I thought the point was the point until the point became the different point and then I don't, you want to make multiple points? You can make multiple points. Maybe I'm just confused today. It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. The Mike Farwell Show. City News 570. It is your daily opportunity to guide the conversation. Give us a call and let's have a chat. You can make a point or multiple points or you can confuse the hell out of me. It's all good. It's all good. Just pick up the phone and give us a call at 519-570-2545. Star 570-1800-570-5715. Grant, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm going to touch on a couple of things. This story that was in the Rob Snow show yesterday where this customer was going through the drive-thru at, at a McDonald's and he was complaining that the worker told him to uh, park his car and we'll bring out the food. Oh, I've been through that before. I remember the first time I had to sit there with this thing on my roof and I felt like I put a big billboard on top of my car saying, I'm eating fast food today. Everybody watch me wait for my fast food order. I didn't see any problem of the worker telling the person to do that. Because when I think of of, of a drive-thru, you're, you're going through the drive-thru for a reason to get your food, get your drink, and get out, right? Yes. And I guess this person got fired. I don't know. What the worker got fired? It sounded like... Oh, okay. And then, what are your thoughts of... I I only watch a bit of the games 
of this, it looks like a new NHL arena outside, but it looks like the fans are so far away. Well, you were watching probably the outdoor game on the weekend. I can't remember which one it was. It wasn't the classic. It was some, I don't know. I I've said this before, I'm frankly tired of the outdoor games. I think the gimmick has long since lost its appeal, but that's just for me. So they play all kinds of outdoor games in big, like, baseball or football stadiums. I believe the one that you're talking about this weekend was the Rangers and maybe the Devils, and they were at the Giants Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so yeah, they're a long, they're a long way away from the ice when you're in a stadium that holds 65, 70,000 people. So how can you see the game if binoculars but, or or let me suggest this maybe you're just at the game to say you were at the game and you're drinking so many beers it doesn't matter if you see the game oh, it I could be want to be paying that a big price for that and well you know what grant on that you and i agree i've also reached a certain age and stage of life where it's going to take an awful lot like i mean i love the pittsburgh steelers but if it came down to a conference championship game in January or early February in Pittsburgh for the chance for the Steelers to go to the Super Bowl, could I be persuaded, cost notwithstanding, to sit outdoors in Pittsburgh in that kind of weather? I don't know. I don't know if I'm made of that kind of stuff anymore. But clearly, the outdoor games in the National Hockey League are still popular. I can't figure it out. This is the 12 o'clock talk back hour on the Mike Farwell show. Give us a call on City News 570. A few minutes away from one, Rob Snow in the building, ready for Now You Know, taking you through until 3 o'clock and then all news afternoons here on City News 570. Let's get right back to the phones here on the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Clinton, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Good. So, uh, first-time caller, long-time listener. Well, you know how I feel about my first-time callers on this program, Clinton. Yes! 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 Love you, brother. Way to go. Welcome to the show. So, uh, from someone in the construction industry, you know, the housing starts are down. Builders don't want to build. You know, yet uh, you, you need people to actually buy the houses, right, for the builders to want to build because they're not going to want to sit on all these buildings that are just sitting there with hundreds of thousand dollars, right, in, in uh, lumber and bricks and so on. And uh, the government's constantly wanting to push all these new housing starts, but no one's going to buy because everyone's struggling, correct? Or am I wrong on this? No, I, I get it. It's such an interesting cycle that we're in, right? Interest rates are high keeping people out of the market, making it more expensive to build, and why build if nobody's ready to buy? I hear you. So, and your radio station, you have all these uh, local politicians, whether federal, municipal, or provincial, listen to your show. So how about they actually listen to what I preached yesterday, and you read my email on the on the radio. And why don't they actually push increasing the uh, period you can purchase a house over, you know, pay it, pay it off over 50 years, and why don't they actually uh, take put that uh, reinstate that zero percent uh, down payment for the housing market for first time home buyers? Like, why don't they actually do that? Because I can I'll buy a house tomorrow and sold thousands of other first time home buyers, and then they'll free up the rental units, and then people can move into rental units, and then other people that want to move into large houses can move into larger houses. And I know that you said that you're not 
one to really feel like you would want to be stuck in a 50-year mortgage. But from my perspective, you know, if I'm in my late 30s, if I buy a house and pay it off over 50 years, maybe I'll die before it's paid off. Maybe I won't. But then my kids will get will get that. They can sell it, get money from it, or they can live in it. Or I can use that money that I have over the years of you know, equity building being built up. I can use that for my retirement. You know, because otherwise, if I'm stuck in renting for another 25 years and then I go to move out, I get nothing. At least in 25 years of paying a mortgage, maybe it's only half paid off, but I still get half that payment coming back, right? I agree. That's why my dad always told me, get into a house as soon as you can, because you don't want to pay somebody else's mortgage. You want to pay your own. Exactly. So Clint- I think that's an easy, easy fix if they just do something like that. Clinton, I appreciate the call. I got to run and make sure we're on time for now, you know with Rob Snow, but we did read Clinton's email yesterday. I'm glad he called in today to talk about it. 0% down for first-time buyers, and how about 50 years of amortization? He'd buy a house tomorrow, and I don't think Clinton's wrong that many others would do exactly the same. Speaking of tomorrow on this program, oh my goodness, are we privatizing too much health care in this community, in this province? What is thresholds and where are they at in our housing continuum? Plus the flip side where we have a little bit of fun and celebrating a near 70-year-old institution in this community. All of that coming up on the program tomorrow. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Back tomorrow morning at 9. Bye for now. Waterloo Region's number one for breaking news, traffic, and weather. This is City News 570, everywhere. It is 1 o'clock, partly sunny, 8 degrees. Good afternoon, I'm Paul McPhee with the City News 570 Top.